your boy DM3, and you're listening to Pandemonium with Mike Lindsley on the Buffalo Bills, exclusively on the Built to Buffalo Podcast Network. What's up, Bills Mafia? I'm Mike Lindsley, all a part of the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network, and I cannot wait to bring on to the show the former Buffalo Bill from 2012 to 2016, also played for the Bears, Steelers, and Giants. It's our guy, Corbin Bryant. What's up, Corbin? Hey, Mike, how you doing? Everything going well over there? Everything is really, really well, man. Go back to your career a little bit. You know, what do you think was the high point as a Bill, and what do you think was the low point as a Bill? You know what? Mike, the, the high point of my career was just being able to play on some great defenses. Unfortunately, during my time there, we couldn't get it right on the offensive side of the ball like they have it now. I, sometimes I can only imagine if we had Josh Allen in the in the tools that they have now, what we could have done with with me, Mario, Kyle, Marcel, and all those guys. But you know that is left to be <laughs> desired. But yeah, just definitely playing on some some great defenses was my highlight. What's really amazing, though, if you think about it, is you were a Bill until 2016. You end your career with the Giants playing one year in 17, and that was the year that Sean McDermott got hired. And then that proceeded into Brandon Bean, proceeds into Josh Allen, proceeds into what the Bills have going now. Do you ever think about, oh, I just missed it? Uh, no, not really. That's kind of, you know, thinking about like, thinking about it like that, you'll, you'll drive yourself crazy. You know, it's just one of those things where while during my time in, in Buffalo, we just didn't, you know, we didn't hit the the right, you know, places in, in, in people in the draft, you know, and there are like countless in, like examples of, you know, who, who, who we like should have picked, who we should have been going after, but all that stuff is hindsight. Like when, when you're going through the draft, you never know what you're going to get. You know, how many guys were, selected before Josh Allen and, and after him and that didn't that didn't end up panning out. It seems like Josh and Lamar Jackson are the only ones that panned out. So when you look at the draft, you really don't know until the player gets there and gets into the system. So I don't bother myself with, <laughs> with thinking about like, oh, if we could have had him or done this. It's a, you know, you you would drive yourself crazy. Yeah, no doubt. It's a great point. Uh our guest is Corbin Bryant, the former Buffalo Bill here on the Built in Buffalo podcast network make sure you hit us on twitter at built in buffalo underscore um when did you feel a connection to bill's mafia <laughs> you know what the, the day that i got there you know the, you know when bill's fans know that you're like a part of the team and if you go anywhere to eat or just anywhere out in the public you know you are like the apple of their eye and they are they are definitely a people that treat you well, the people in Buffalo, I tell you what, like my time there, they're just some amazing people and some of the some of the best fans in the world, obviously, like obviously, because there were some seasons, you know, when I was there that we were not very good. And then still at the end of the season, they still showed up. They still showed up to party, smashing each other into into tables before the game and yelling during the game. So honestly, like I've been around and I've been to a ton of places, but there are no greater fans than the than Bills, and I'll argue with anyone about Bills Mafia. So I'm curious to know your thoughts on today's, you know, three technique, one technique, those kind of players. I know you were a nose tackle, but, um, and look, it's an offensive league now, as you know, but, but we've seen now here, Corbin, as you know, the last couple Super Bowls, 
the team that's able to get some pressure on the quarterback has has been able to to win. I mean, we saw the Buccaneers get rat, you know, uh, the Buccaneers rattle Mahomes, and then we saw the Bengals and Burrow get rattled by the L.A. Rams with Floyd and Miller and Aaron Donald and those guys. What what position do you think? is the most crucial to have? Is it the interior guy like a Donald, an edge guy like a T.J. Watt or a Von Miller? Um, is, is it a one technique, a three technique, an edge rusher? What piece do you see in today's game as being the most important? Well, thank you. It really depends on what the, the other offensive line has. When you look at the Cincinnati Bengals, they had some pretty terrible guards in there on the inside. So Aaron Donald... He's, anytime you don't get a full slide over to him, he's just going to destroy the guy. Whereas, you know, they have a little bit better tackle. So Von Miller was not going to be, you know, he was effective, but he wasn't going to be as effective as Aaron Donald because Aaron Donald's playing over a player that's not, that's really not very good. And then when you look back at the Kansas City Chiefs in the Buccaneers game, what did, what did the Chiefs not have? They didn't have a right tackle. So Shaq Barry and JPP are lining up over the guy and going crazy. So it just really depends. But when you look at the importance, the important positions that are needed to win the Super Bowl, it always starts up front. If you have to keep it super simple, you know, obviously you need a quarterback, but the next positions that are the most vital and most important are offensive line, offensive guard, offensive tackle, and three technique and edge rusher. Because if you have those things, you, I mean, your your recipe for success just got that much bigger. During your time in the NFL, did you start to see the change in the rules and protecting quarterbacks? And you can't hit anybody anymore. Um, you know, what did you see it? You know, coming to fruition. And if so, when when did it when did it first hit for you? Like, oh my goodness. These rules are really are really going to the other side of the ball, which probably makes you now watch games and go, "Yeah, I'm glad I'm not chasing these offensive, uh, you know, uh, uh, powerhouses, right? Like the Bills or the Chiefs or whomever." Um, when did you see the offense kind of, you know, getting getting a little bit more of an edge? You know, Mike, when I was playing, it it was you know it was trending that way, but it wasn't that bad because there were times where you know after I think a couple times after Alex Smith threw and a couple times after. Even after Brady had threw sometimes, I you know, I would hit him. And then I would be looking around and there would be no flag thrown. But mm-hmm. as I look back at it, if I were to do that, those type of hits today on a Brady or, or any other um, top-tier quarterback, oh, the, the flag is being thrown instantly. And when I was playing, we didn't have that rule where, you know, you can't land on the quarterback. So guys are trying to sack the quarterback in a totally different way because you have to hit him and roll off was which it seems simple but when you're moving like super fast like most of the guys are it makes it like very difficult especially like when you're uh, have a beeline on the guy and you're trying to destroy him so yeah it wasn't like that but it, i definitely as i've been watching it over the years it's, it's honestly uh, been getting been getting a lot worse it's like quarterbacks aren't even really football players anymore yeah, it's so bad. And you know what's amazing is that a lot of the offensive um, things that have been implemented, as you know, um, you know, it, it's head related, right? It, the CTE and concussion stuff came, uh, you know, to the forefront. And so they added those in, but then they're like, oh, but you can't wrap up a quarterback around his legs and knees, though. That's also a penalty. Well, how are you supposed to bring a guy down? <laughs> yeah, it, it's, I, you, you know what? 
I think in a couple of years, I mean, this is not going to happen, but it's just a joke. But we may be playing seven on seven. We may be playing flag football the way the way it's trending because a lot of these rules yeah. that they have going down, and I think they have the uh, one of those league uh, meetings where they get the competition committee together. They're going to have to sit down. They're going to have to make some decisions because a lot of the things that the referees these days are calling are pretty ridiculous. So what was your feeling when the Bills didn't close in Kansas City in the playoffs in 13 seconds? Were you were you devastated? Were you frustrated by watching? Going, Come on, you get you can't give Kelsey and Hill, you know, seven, ten yard cushion, two timeouts KC had. You can't play, you know, the outside part like like Wallace and company did to the to the sidelines and just give them all that open open territory. What was going through your mind as you were watching you know, the, the, the last 13 there in KC. Well, well, you have to really understand what the BLT defensive coordinator are thinking. And, you know, everybody's complaining about the calls. And, and in hindsight, you know, it's like, yeah, you can always blame the guy. But if the, if, if the scheme worked, everybody would be like, oh, yeah, it's great. Or, or like if the Bills had come up and they started pressing and they got beat over the top, you know, you just can't please people. But, you know, the Bills were in a prevent defense. And in a prevent defense – you try to keep the the opposite side, the receivers, in bounds. So what Levi Wallace and the other guys were doing is they were protecting the sideline so that if they if somebody caught a ball over there, they couldn't get out of bounds. But, you know, they they didn't think that, okay, you know, most guys out here that are running routes are running, you know, four or five, you know, pretty fast that they can get you know, 10, 10, 15 yards <laughs> pretty quickly. So guys didn't, guys, they, they definitely weren't thinking about that. But, you know, like if I was a defensive coordinator, would I be running the prevent defense? Sure, because they have like speedsters on the outside and I'm not trying to get beat over the top. But, in, I mean, in the end, you know, somebody has to put their hands on Kelsey. But like, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and, and nitpick and, and say, you know, shoulda, coulda, woulda, because, I mean, that's all, all of these observations are really in hindsight. You know what, though? I will add to that, and I will counter to that, that I would be fine with that defense, and, and, and how you broke it down was perfect, if they didn't have the two timeouts. Is that yeah, fair? that's true. And, and you're also thinking about, do you really think that they could score in 10 seconds? In, today, like, in today's I mean, league, yeah, in today's I mean, league, that yeah. That was like probably the quickest scoring drive in the history of the NFL. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, mean, I mean, and, you know, they're, the KC's kicker is not necessarily automatic. You know, he's not bad. You know, he's been kicking there for a while, but he's no, he's no Justin Tucker. So, like, you're thinking that, like, you know, if we get to the to the 40-yard line that he may even miss, even in, you know, the weather wasn't that great either, but... I mean, <laughs> there are so many things that you can say, but yeah, it's just it just leaves leaves you thinking because I I definitely think the Bills could have won the Super Bowl if they won that game, but you know, <laughs> it, it, it was it was a tough one. Obviously, the future is still bright, but as you know, it's so hard in the NFL to win in the regular season. It's harder in the postseason. It's hard to get to a Super Bowl. It's hard to win one. It's hard to defend one. It it, it just the levels of, the level of difficulty. 
it just goes up and up and up. We're talking with Corbin Bryant, Buffalo Bills, great. I got a couple more for you, Corbin. I'll let you run. Um, the city of Buffalo, right? I mean, there's there's so many great things about it. Um, and one of those things, and I know you're a big chicken wing guy because I am as well. Um, you know, we're, we're all, I mean, look, we're dudes, man. We love chicken wings, right? Um, what were some of your favorite uh, chicken wing spots and, and some of your food spots in Buffalo that you like to go to? Oh, man. You know, I was definitely a, a Duff's guy because I was introduced to that. I think the, one of the first weekends I was in Buffalo and that, like all the different flavors and stuff like that, like some that I never even heard of. And I, I thought I was a wing guy before I got there. But yeah, Duff's, Duff's was definitely a place. Uh, Ilio de Polo's and um, I forget the name of the um, the Italian place. Uh, I forget I forget what it's called, but there's an Italian place somewhere downtown. I mean, I haven't been in Buffalo in like five years, but it's fantastic. Probably the best lasagna I've ever had in my life. I'm, oh, mulberries. Okay. Okay. Yes. Wow. Yeah, I love me some good lasagna too. Um, what, what did you do from you know a, a, a lifestyle uh, standpoint? You know, uh, when you had maybe a day off, would you grab a teammate and go up to the falls? Would you hit the mall? Would you? Um, yeah, you probably went. You probably went out and had rings too. But what were I what were about anything to pass the time? Yeah. Definitely going to the mall. Okay. You know, definitely you know spending some time out. You know, eating. I would usually have like some people in town. Hmm. You know, my girlfriend and things like that. And you know, just just generally hanging out. Like nothing, nothing too crazy. Like I, you know, definitely explored the city, but we never, never really did anything that that was like. Oh yeah, that was like awesome. So. Yeah, I mean, but I definitely did, like, go out around the town and stuff. Do you talk to teammates still to this day? Do you keep in touch with your guys? Yeah, I keep in touch with some, you know. Like, it's, it's mostly through, like, like social media. But, <laughs> you know, yeah, I still talk to some of my some of my old D-line mates. And, you know, we keep in touch make sure that, you know, each other are doing well. And, you know, we have that, that little brotherhood there. Um. Can you still uh, can you still get it done in the weight room? I mean, you're still a pretty young dude, man. You're 34. <laughs> you know, I, I can't get it done like I like I could when I was, you know, in, in 2013 when I was probably my strongest. But you mm-hmm. know, I can still I can still uh, throw some weight up a little bit. <laughs> All right. Hey, fi- final question for you. Um, when you when you look at the the, the game today um, versus you know when you play, which was just you know, you, you've only been gone for five years, but um, even back to your first year with the Bears in 2011, what's the part that you miss the most about the game and the part where you're like, I, I don't I don't really need, I don't need that at all. I, I don't miss that part at all. I, I have a pretty good idea what you're going to say, but let's hear it. Yeah, I mean, I really like, you know, just miss like the time in the locker room, getting yeah. to know guys, hanging out. You know, obviously, you know, game day is like, you know, the best thing you know, that you look forward to as a player, but, you know, I obviously don't miss training camp. Like, I mean, that would probably, you know, if you ask that question to a thousand football players, a thousand of them would probably say training camp yeah. <laughs> or even between that or, or being in the training room because you're hurt. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. um, well, training, yeah, like training camp, training is, camp it's is just, brutal. it's so hot. Right? Yeah, it's not even that they're being hot. It's just, you know, you're after like the first two days, you're just so sore. You feel like you can't even move. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Corbin Bryant, former Buffalo Bill, 2012 to 16, also uh, suited up for the Bears, Steelers, and Giants during his NFL day and a terrific, terrific uh, college career 
at Northwestern as well. Corbin, you're the best, man. Thank you, buddy. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate you. This is, in fact, the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. Make sure you get us on all the social platforms, including on Twitter, at Built in Buffalo underscore. And we go from one great guest in Corbin Bryant to another one. He is the Buffalo Bills pregame and halftime show host for WGR 550 uh, in Western New York at Nate Geary Sports on Twitter. Nate Geary, what's up, buddy? How are you? Yeah, man. Pleasure, uh, pleasure to be on again. Let's start with the most recent news, right? The Bills extend Saran Neal. Uh, it's like a three-year deal, close to $11 million. What's your immediate takeaway? Certainly a lot of money, uh, but the Bills are not shy about paying special teams players. Um, but uh, I think for me, Mike, it's the precedent that this team continues to set um, with players that they draft and the culture that they're building, right? If you do the right things... Um, you put yourself in the best position each year um, by doing the things the team asks you to do in the offseason. They will reward you with a contract, and and they want to develop and retain. That has been their model since Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott both came to Buffalo. Um, and this is simply another example of that. And, and I would tell folks who might think $11 million for a special teams gunner and a depth safety slash slot corner may seem hefty. I would maybe wait to hold your judgment until you see what that cap number looks like. I don't believe the details of that contract have been made public yet. I would bet that cap number is somewhere around $2 million or less per year um, with a lot of the, um, the additional money to get you to $11 million being incentive-laden um, and also probably uh, like a lot of workout bonuses. And on top of that, you know, you might add in, um, you know, a, a pretty hefty signing bonus as well as, as sort of a reward for all the hard work that Neil has done to get himself in a position that he is. He is a premier special teams player in the NFL. And uh, you certainly and, and I think to his role as like their the team's big slot receiver um, is an important one. You know, he can come in, he can cover tight ends, he can play physical in the run game. And with Taron Johnson and, you know, sort of the way that his that he plays in his playing style, he throws his body around and he's not the biggest guy. So if he misses a, a handful of games a year, you feel really comfortable that Neil can step in and slide into that slot corner position. You don't miss too much of a beat. So I would tell folks to maybe hold off judgment, thinking if, if, if they're concerned about overpayment, Wait until we see what that cap hit per year number will be, and I guarantee it'll be very palatable for the Bills and for Bills fans. What direction do they go in the draft, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, this is it's a good question. Like, I, I think I might want to tell you that for my maybe most educated guests, I'd want to wait until I see what they do in free agency. Um, you know, do, do they... Do they go out and make a big splash and maybe go sign one of the the top tier edges? Do they go out and you know maybe get in in competition with a couple other teams with a guy like Chandler Jones? Um, you know that would be that would signify to me that maybe edge is completely off the board in this draft. If they ignore the defensive line entirely and maybe they go out and they they go find a number three wide receiver or replacement, you know, for Isaiah McKenzie, they add a running back, they. They had, you know, a cornerback in free agency. I would say all hands are on deck again in another draft where this team might be going heavy um, on the defensive line. So I, I think we sort of have to wait and see here, I think, to get a full, a really good feel on what Brandon Bean is going to do and how they plan on, um, you know, making the improvements across the roster this offseason. And, you know, I think for me, Mike, I, I would like to see the Bills, you know, use their free agency money. I'm a big Cordell Patterson fan. I'd, I'd really like the Bills 
to go and get a guy like that. And, you know, if it's not Chandler Jones, maybe you can go and get one of these. You know, I know a lot of people talk about Emmanuel Ogba as a good option for the Bills. Um, you know, maybe they go out, maybe they decide that they want to trade, right? Daniel Hunter has been a name that's been brought up a bunch out of Minnesota. Hasn't played much the last two seasons, but 2019 and 2018, you got the guy here that had uh, 14 and a half sacks combined. It's 29 sacks in two seasons for Daniel Hunter in 2018 and 2019, and then kind of has faded back into the distance. He's got two years left on his contract. It's a pretty palatable deal. That That's something that makes sense to me. Uh, Marcus Davenport's another name out of New Orleans um, that could be probably had based on him heading into the last year of his contract and uh, the New Orleans Saints being in the, the salary cap situation that they're in, they could be looking to move the former first round pick that they actually traded up for a few years back. So to me, Mike, it makes way more sense to go out and get a veteran or, or maybe a player going into his second contract um, at the defensive end position, because I, I, I think you want to pair a veteran with the young players, Boogie Basham, AJ FNS, obviously Greg Rousseau and, and Basham going into their second season. I'm not sure adding another rookie defensive end makes a lot of sense to me. Um, so I, I think for me, edge is probably a priority and for agency. And I'd like to see the bills be in position to draft one of the top corners or even potentially one of the top receivers in the first round and, and, and really, you know, solidify this pass rush with a veteran. Okay, now that we've gotten through that, we obviously know that because the Bills cap situation, you know, you have to kind of probably move money, maybe cut a few guys. What are you doing with the Daryl Williamses and the Cole Beasleys? Um, you know, what what do you do with with I, Mitch Morse had a great year at center, but obviously his cap number is big. Do, who do you try to restructure? Who who's there, and who do you cut? I think two really good restructure candidates are Daryl Williams um, and Cole Beasley, two guys that I think you'd like to have here, um, but I think you need to have at a at a better number for both players, specifically Williams, who um, right now I think slots in at around the 15th highest paid starting guard in football. Um, listen, he got paid to play right tackle and he got bumped down to guard. I mean, we're just talking about two different pricing models, um, you know, for Daryl Williams. Is he the 13th best guard in football? I would say no. Um, he's not bad. He's just not that player. So I think he makes a lot of sense to, to um, you know, maybe kick the can down the road, add avoidable years, spread out a signing bonus, convert that and, and try to create some space that way. Cole Beasley, you know, maybe an extension makes sense for him adding another year, um, and, and maybe giving and converting some of his base salary next season into a signing bonus. Um, so we'll, we'll see what that looks like. But I think John Feliciano is a really good cut candidate or a restructure candidate, too. He's, he's the 20th highest paid guard um, in the league. And that's one, you know, where I, I he could also be a trade candidate, Mike. You know, I, listen, Joe Shane, um, you know, just down the 90 down in, uh, in New Jersey um, is looking for starting caliber veteran level offensive linemen. Maybe that's a move the Bills look to make. But I, I, Greg Thompson had said something along this line and I, and I really agree with that is Brandon Bean is not going to make moves to sacrifice future cap um, considerations. So restructures tend to do that, right? When you, when you're restructuring a contract, you're adding voidable years to a contract and it can make it make you less flexible down the road. The salary cap, Mike is being predicted to jump to 230 million next off season, which is a jump of $22 million in total. Um, so if the bills are working off of that, sort of concept that they are going to have that 22 extra million next season to work with um you know restructuring contact contracts may not make sense for them they may want to outright extend guys like stefan diggs i think a guy like this offseason that makes a lot of sense to extend is dawson knox um before he really 
um, has a big year four and that price tag goes up with the Kelsey's and the Kittles of the world. So um, I don't think Brandon Bean is going to make moves to create cap space unless he has players he's really looking at. And I think of last offseason when the Bills appeared to be all in on J.J. Watt, right? And we were told that they would be in a discount bin, that they wouldn't be shopping for these big-level free agents. And what do the Bills do on the very first available free agent? Um, you know, J.J. Watt became available before the opening of free agency period. So the Bills were one of number of teams sort of bidding at the bidding at J.J. Watt before, uh, before um, you know, the the – the free agency period open. And if the Bills had landed J.J. Watt, would they have been able to extend Daryl Williams or Matt Milano or both? Um, so I, I think it'll be interesting to see. I don't expect them to just make a rash of moves before um, the league year's opening to create all this space if there aren't true plans to replace the space they're creating with veterans on the free agent market. So if they've got a guy they want, they're going to offer him a contract, and if it looks like they're going to get the guy, they'll make the subsequent move necessary to fit him under the cap. I don't think they're just going to do you know, 15 extension restructures and outright cuts, create $40 million in cap space, and then fill the roster. I don't think that's how Brandon Bean's going to operate, and, and I wouldn't expect that level of, of maybe like premeditated moves for the free agency period. Harrison Phillips, Isaiah McKenzie, which guy's more important to bring back? Uh, it's, it's Harrison Phillips, and, and, and that's coming from a guy that really likes Isaiah McKenzie and thinks he has a huge role um, moving forward in this offense. I, I just think Harrison Phillips really did a lot to bring a lot of consistency to the one-technique position next to Ed Oliver. I think he's one of the primary reasons Ed Oliver had the ascension we saw from midseason on and turned into you know one of the league's most better penetrating three techniques in all of football. Um, a lot of that had to do with Harrison Phillips and his um, you know, his play in the middle at the one technique position. I think at the very least, Harrison Phillips needs to be back in a rotational role. I'd really like to see them address that that one technique position in the draft. That either of those Georgia uh, interior defensive linemen makes sense to me. Jordan Davis is a little outside um, of the archetype that we've seen the Bills go after in that um, one technique position. You know, Davis is 6'6", 340. The Bills tend to not go that big, and that's just the Sean McDermott defensive line arc type those guys have been you know uh, more like Starlet Tulele, who's you know six four, you know three oh five. That mm-hmm. is that that's a small one tech compared to you know a uh, a Jordan Davis. So maybe his his teammate Javante Wyatt makes sense at you know six foot five, three hundred and fifteen pounds. Maybe that's the guy that makes sense for the Bills if they decide to go that route. So I, I would like to see them bring back Harrison Phillips and and put a top tier, a first top two round defensive tackle one technique with him in rotation. And obviously you have Justin Zimmer um, as well, who could potentially be back. In fill in that role and you obviously signed Eli Anku um, to a futures contract as well who they liked last year at times filling in for Starla Tulele when he was injured at the one tech position so that, that that's kind of how I, I picture them them going forward with the one technique and as much as I love um, Isaiah McKenzie I'd really like to see both of those guys back but if I, you're asking me to choose one it's, it's definitely got to be Harrison Phillips. All right, a couple more quick questions here for our guy Nate Geary from WGR 550 Buffalo on Twitter, at Nate Geary Sports, the Bills pregame and halftime show host. I'm Mike Lindsley here on Built in Buffalo. Um, The 13 seconds in Kansas City uh, obviously was a heartbreaking loss. Now that we've had a little bit of time since then, are you on the fence? Which which side of the fence are you on more? The one side where it was, man, what a blown opportunity. If you'd won that game, you'd host the AFC title game. Really good chance to go to and win the Super Bowl. Uh, the window just closed a little bit more. 
Or are you on the other side where it's, okay, they're playing with the big boys. This is still a really good team, and they've got a few more cracks in the next couple, two, three, four years. Where, where do you land? Yeah, I hate to be the guy that cops out and says somewhere in the middle, um, but I, I would tell you that I look at the AFC at large. I see all of the quality young quarterbacks that are here, the Herberts, the Mahomes, the the Burrows, the Lamar Jacksons, um, and I say, you know, there, there's a good chance one or many of those young uh, quarterbacks never win a Super Bowl. Um, but seeing what I saw to Josh Allen in those two playoff games, knowing this team um, is in this window, has a really good, solid group of core young players that it's headlined by uh, Allen, by Diggs, by Milano, by Tredavious White, uh, by Dawson Knox, by Deion Dawkins. There, there's a really nice core there. They need to continue drafting well, um, and they need to continue finding, which this is easier said than done, Mike, but the Bills have done better than maybe any team finding core, you know, specialty players. Mm-hmm in the third round of the draft and beyond between Gabriel Davis and Dawson Knox, you have your wide receiver too. And one of the best top five tight ends in the league right now. And Dawson Knox, both guys are third round picks. Um, But that's the development model this team has. I don't believe they're going to do what the Rams did, which is trade lots of picks in order to get veterans on aging contracts. Um, I think they're going to continue to build the way that they, they, they've been doing because they have a quarterback. They now know what the number is they have to build around on their salary cap. And again, with that salary cap going up, I see the bills in a window to probably bring in veterans at, at more cost prohibitive numbers because they'll want to come play with Josh Allen and, and the same token. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the AFC at large is going to be very competitive. I, I do think they're going to get several more cracks at this in the upcoming seasons. But, yeah, they certainly have a couple of big, big-name quarterbacks standing in their way. There's no doubt. Um, final thing, let, let's go to hockey. Um, the Sabres obviously are in this real rut right now um, since, I uh, guess what, they've lost four in a row. Um, and they're just, the giveaways are awful, right? The yes. turnovers, oh my gosh, it's just, it's brutal. The goaltending, I don't know why Uka Pekalukanen is just isn't up there, because, I mean, you, you've got to figure out if he's going to be a part of this core. Owen Power's on the way, you got Darlene, you've got, you know, Dylan Cousins, Tuck, and Krebs, and, and, and Soterica, and all these guys. Um, just give me your state of the union on the Sabres. I, I, know, I know it's really bad right now, because they just, they can't win games, but I still feel like you know, I like the head coach. I like the core players. I, I don't know how long he can be in a rebuild. Obviously, this team hasn't made the playoffs in over 10 years. I get all that. Um, but I, I'm kind of okay with with this right now because I think next year and the year after could be could be really, really good, and then I think they might be okay you know, moving forward. W- where do you sit with the Sabres? Give me the Nate Geary State of the Union on the Buffalo Sabres. Yeah, listen, you know, Kevin Adams has been given free reign to build this team the right way from the from the ground up. And this is sort of the point, Mike. Maybe maybe last offseason um, going into this year was is the same point, but I, I guess I'm looking into the window of this is almost exactly where the Sabres were in their rebuild when Tim Murray decided to go out and trade a bunch of assets for Vander Kane and a bunch of assets for Ryan O'Reilly. And they essentially emptied the cupboards um, for a couple of players that obviously are no longer part of the organization. And um, they're at that point right now where, you know, I don't believe Kevin Adams is going to turn around and try to flip J.J. Paterka um, and, you know, you, one of their, you know, young players or a, a pair of young players and picks 
to go out and acquire, um, you know, a, a larger name in this franchise. This this year has meant very little about wins and losses to me, and more about the development of guys um, like you know, uh, like Dylan Cousins and and Rasmus Dahlin, who we've wanted to see sort of take that step, and and it looks like he is starting to um, this year. So I think for me. You know, the Peyton Krebs and Alex Tuck aspect of this whole thing is they've been re- each of them have been really pleasant surprises. I, I did not expect to see Peyton Krebs. I'm not sure that Kevin Adams expected to see or want to see Peyton Krebs in the NHL this year. I think they had every intention of letting him spend the entire year in the AHL. Um, injuries didn't allow that to happen. And when he came up here, he just has secured a roster spot. And I, I, I he's one of their top six forwards. There's just no doubt about that. So, um, you know, Casey Middlestat's back in the lineup. What can he do? He's not a great defensive player. Um, uh, but, but, but he's had a lot of issues staying on the ice this year. Can he find a group? Obviously the development of Tage Thompson has been yep. one of the most important developing pieces in this franchise. and is a huge key moving forward, um, for the success of this team. But where I wanted to go with this ultimately, Mike, is the next phase of young players, Paterka, Krebs. Um, you talk about Jack Quinn. You talk about, um, you know, potentially having these young players move into the NHL this upcoming season. And that's really exciting. And instead of, you know, bringing up these young guys and then trading the people remaining in the NHL, um, and and if you're Jason Bottrell, loading the AHL with a bunch of veteran players because you're worried about winning, winning hockey games in the AHL instead of developing, you know, young talent, that's not happening right now. I mean, the Hubbards have been are as full as they've ever been. We haven't even talked about, you know, Eric Pertillo and, and Devin Levi, two really top tier um, goaltending prospects that are in the system that are going to be making NHL debuts here over the next two years. And obviously Owen Power, um, who will likely get some playing time here towards the end of the season um, as his Michigan season wraps up. So there's a lot to be excited about. And I, and I think, you know, that's not to mention the next phase of new AHL players that we're going to be able to see over the next two years. I mentioned, you know, um, the goaltenders, but you've got the, the couple of Russian kids that they drafted this last offseason. Josh Bloom, who's done a lot of great things in his first season in the AHL, he'll probably um, you know, be ready for a step to the American Hockey League either next year or the year after. Um, Isaac Rosen is a player that people should really start to familiarize themselves with um, in the Swedish Elite League uh, and pl- essentially playing in the NHL of Sweden. So um, they've got a lot of good young players that are going to be set to transition to the AHL next year and the following. And that is not something that we've been familiar with as Sabres fans over the last decade or so of this losing is they tend to mortgage a lot of that leverage they create with all of these assets and high draft picks and move them for more established players later on in their career. And I think the Sabres learned their lesson. They don't want to spend a lot of money. So they're giving Kevin Adams free range to develop this franchise through the draft um, and then supplement, you know, bottom six, bottom nine players um, in for agency. So we'll see how that looks this upcoming year. I still would really like for them to add a, a 25-30 goal score in free agency, but those are hard to come by because A, the Pagoulas don't want to pony up, but B, you know, you got to want to come to a franchise that's that's still trying to find itself and its identity and back to its winning ways. So um, can they find a 25-goal score to put beside Dylan Cousins, who I think really needs... They need to find him and Alex Tuck because I think that first line of Tage, Tuck, and Skinner is fantastic. But that second line right now, they, they need to find someone other than Victor Olofsson to play beside Dylan Cousins. And and I just don't think it's Peyton Krebs. I, I, I don't like their fit together. So how they do that moving forward will be really interesting. Well, this was terrific. Nate Geary, at Nate Geary Sports on Twitter. Go give him a follow. The Buffalo Bills pregame and halftime host for WGR 550. Nate, I'm sure you're dying to get out on the golf course and get a winner over with and, and hit him straight. So uh, when you do that, and we still got to play together, but when you do that, good luck uh, on the course this year. And thanks for coming on, man. Continued success your way.
Absolutely. You too, my friend. We'll absolutely get out this summer. Can't wait. Huge thanks to Corbin Bryant and Nate Geary from WGR 550. I'm Mike Lindsley. You are listening to Built in Buffalo, and you can get us all over the social media networks. Follow, like, and subscribe to the shows. And as I always tell you, enjoy the games. (laughs) 